Good morning. I need a voice after all the talking last night in the kitchen. This is from 1 Peter 1 through 6 and 2 Peter 9 through 12 on pages 1200 and 1201 in your pew Bibles. I don't know whether we're doing that. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, this morning we have a real privilege. Um, our preacher this morning is a man that I have known for many years, and he used to attend Westgate. In fact, he was our associate pastor here back in the 80s. Um, Mark and Chris um, have since gone on, and they have done uh, about 15 years of working as missionaries in Venezuela. They've spent the last eight years in Italy. Um, and since they left uh, Westgate, they've had five children. Uh, their two oldest are now married and uh, living in the Grand Rapids area. They have a daughter that's about to start school out there in college. And then they have two younger boys that are going to be going back to Italy with them uh, fairly soon. And so I'm excited to welcome Mark back to the pulpit here and uh, to introduce him to so many of you that are new to Westgate. So, Mark, all yours. <laughs> Thank you. Man, it is so good to be here. Um, uh, Ian, you just expressed everything that I was thinking of saying, too. It's so good to just, I don't know, we just connect with with Westgate. And um, you are our family. In so many ways, you've, you've poured into our lives and shaped us. And um, we were just talking about this on our way up here, about... Uh, all the ways in which Westgate has built into who we are and even how we see ministry, how we see mission. 
And so it's great to be back here, and uh, hopefully um, um, some of the things that we have to say this morning will just will click. Um, all the things that you're saying click with me, and uh, so it's, a, it's been a great encouragement to us. I asked my wife if she wanted to come up and like, do the first part, you know, talk about the family, because one of the times we shared this um, PowerPoint, you know, she says afterwards, why don't you let me do the part about the family next time? Because you left out so many things. But then um, when I asked her this morning, she says, no, I think I'll let you take the uh, family part. So she's up there pushing the buttons. And um, so if I go too long on something, hon, just keep it rolling, okay? And um, um, so let's pray first. Lord, I'm so thankful that um, you have given us the chance to come be with our family in Christ, to once again uh, renew our friendships, to shake hands and catch up, and Lord, just to talk about all that you are doing. And it's exciting because you're at work in our lives, each one of us, and then through what we are, um, through our lives as we live them out day to day. And so, Lord, we pray that today you'll open up your word, that you'll open up our minds and our hearts, and that you will speak, and that we will listen. Lord, if anyone is here today who does not know you in their heart of hearts and doesn't really know the joy of of the presence of your Spirit, in their lives. Lord, I pray that today they will open the door and they will ask you to come in. Help them to surrender to you. Lord, we surrender to you now. We pray for you to lead us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So here are some pictures um, of our family. And this picture was taken this summer when our son Josh, our second child, uh, was married, so there's kind of the big the big picture. Um, and uh, Anna is our oldest. She was born in Natick, um, and uh, many of you ha- saw her when she was just a tiny little baby. Um, she's 24 and married Ben, her high school sweetheart. He's a missionary kid from Russia, and they're planning to serve in missions somewhere. Um, they're not sure where. They're just they're open. Then there's Josh and Elisa, um, who are newlyweds. Josh went to Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids um, uh, three years ago. He's a senior now. He met Elisa, and um, they would also like to be missionaries uh, somewhere as well. So the Lord has got uh, two couples just sort of waiting for instructions. And then there's Becca. And in 2007, Becca came with me. She was just an eighth grader then. And um, uh, she came with me when we came back for a visit. She is now a freshman at Cornerstone. She's studying ministry, and she wants to be a missionary. So, um, and then there's Sam and Ben. Sam is six, Ben is eight. Um, These two guys were, um, (laughs) they were surprise, surprise. (laughs) And... uh, so, you know, you always say, surprise, surprise. Well, we know what surprise, surprise means. <laughs> this is uh, eating gelato on the way home from school. And, man, 
I just don't know how we would have continued on in life without these guys. They prolonged the empty nest thing for quite a while, so <laughs> praise God. Um, uh, okay, and then there's us. Oh, yeah. All right, I, I've been waiting to ask this question. How many Italians do we have here this morning? Okay, lift your hands up really high. Did you guys know? The rest of you, did you know that you had these Italians in your congregation? You did, right? Italians make themselves known wherever they are. That is one of the things that we love about being in Italy. Steve this morning asked me, hey, is the war still on between the north and the south in Italy? I said, man, it's just raging, you know. So nothing's changed. And it was excellent food last night. Really, the best Italian food we've had in America. So um, the sauce was just so Italian. The rest of you, have been, has anyone traveled in Italy? Okay, quite a few people. All right, you've probably seen more things than we have. We just had our nose to the grindstone in Venice, you know, just... Um, but uh, we have a goal that we would like to see Rome someday. We'd like to see Naples someday. <laughs> you know, I mean... Uh, Italy is not just gondolas and and things like that. So, um, well, we've learned a lot of things about Italy and about Italians. And this morning, I want to just take you through a couple of things quick to try to set the stage because um, because Ian shared the simple gospel, you know. And wasn't it wasn't it easy for him? I mean, I, I'm just saying, you know, when he tells it, it's it was just so simple. The guy gets in the plane, he pops the question, why are you going to Mecca? And from there, the Lord leads, and it's just natural. It's an everyday life situation. It's something any one of us could do. You don't have to be a trained missionary, you know, um, wearing your missionary suit to be able to share that message. It's just so simple. That's what God's called each one of us to do. But sometimes there's barriers. And so understanding the barriers helps us be able to see through those and find a way to share the gospel. And uh, having a guy in a plane for two hours like that, wow, what an opportunity. And so you inspire us, Ian. Um, Here are some of the things we've learned about Italy that um, that are interesting, yet they present barriers as well. Italy is an open-air museum of Christian art. You know, you don't have to go inside a museum in Italy to find things that are just, will take your breath away. Everywhere you look, there's cathedrals, there's basilicas. Some of them have taken 200 years to build. 200 years on one place. You walk in there, the statues, the paintings. In Venice, there's 150 churches on the islands. Just talking about the island part of Venice, and every one of them is worth walking into because of the amazing art that you'll find there. Italy is a land filled with fascinating wonders. If you drive one hour from our house, you can find, you can be in a medieval castle. You can be on an amazing Italian vineyard. Um, You can go hiking in the pink, purple mountains. You can swim in the Adriatic Sea. It's like it just goes on 
and on, just one hour from our house. Italy has the best food on the planet. Do we get an amen? amen? The best clothes, the best interior design, the fastest cars. Of course, this is all according to Italians, right? Most of the world, interestingly, most of the world agrees with this. Isn't it amazing how everyone tries to dress Italian, everyone tries to design Italian. Everywhere you look, there's an Italian restaurant, there's something Italian. We've got pizza. Chris and Kim, our gracious hosts, fed us old school pizza. It was amazing. It was Italian. It was the most Italian pizza I've had in in, uh, America so far. Um, But Italians are purists. If you show up in something that's not made in Italy by Italian hands, okay, that's another thing you got to watch out for. You can get something made in Italy, but it might be made by, by people who are not actually Italian. So some tags say, made in Italy by Italian hands, okay? <laughs> and if you don't have that, they kind of look at you like, mm, that's an Americanized version of something. That's yeah, okay, but you know. So... Okay, to be Italian is to be Catholic. Christian is a cultural definition to an Italian. It's an ethnic label. It's not a declaration of one's faith. It's a declaration of one's culture, of one's country and society, one's background. It's not a declaration of allegiance to Jesus as Lord. It's not a declaration of membership in the redeemed people. It's just you're, you're Catholic because you're Italian. And um, when we first moved into our apartment building eight years ago, um, which is um, we, we moved into an apartment on the fifth floor, no elevator, okay? And someone said, how come you, you know, you're so thin? Well... <laughs> Pasta just never sets in. You, you eat it, and then you walk down the stairs, and then you come back up the stairs, and then you walk down again, and you come back up. And so, 69, by the way, 69 stairs. <laughs> yep. Sometimes you count them when you're, you're at the bottom, and your little guy goes, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. And you're thinking, when is this? Part of discipleship is learning, teaching your children to walk up the stairs by themselves, you know? And so you think, wow, I've got to really work on this. Okay, so you carry him up again. You know, and so you've got sometimes one boy under one arm, one under the other arm. Anyway, our neighbors were shocked when we told them that we were in Italy for them. They figured we had come to Italy for the Protestants that, you know, there's some Protestants in Italy, most of them foreigners. And so we must be in Italy. This was their idea. We must be in Italy for them for the expats who are Protestant already. Instead, they found out we were in Italy. We learned Italian so that we could communicate with Italians. But why would an Italian need an American to come over and talk to him about Christianity? I mean, Christianity comes from Italy. You know? Christian, we have the Vatican. What could you possibly tell me about my faith? And so, um, this is where uh, earlier Karen Daggett was sharing with us how it's taken her mother 30 years just to not be angry with her.
for becoming an evangelical believer. 30 years. Someone else said, how long does it take to plant a church in Italy? Well, it takes 30 years. Really. That's the national statistic. And so, this is an amazing barrier to Italians who think that, you know, they're okay because they're Italian. And so, everything's okay. Italians are a de-churched culture. This means that they're convinced that Christianity really has nothing to offer for the future. You know, Christianity had a lot of things to offer for my parents, for my grandparents, for my my uh, noni, you know, way back. But it really doesn't offer anything for today. In fact, Christianity and religion are part of the problem in the world. What we need is tolerance. And so... Um, they're de-churched, like all of Europe, really. And um, they've, they've had contact with the church, but they're turned off by the church. They've been baptized, they've been confirmed, and then at age 13, the Italian families disappear from the church. And they come back if someone dies, or they come back if someone gets married. And because otherwise, you know, what really is there that's really important? I mean, I wanted my kids to be confirmed and part of the church and okay. So there, that's done, and now we get on with life. Um, Italians have already heard the basic tenets of the gospel message. And, of course, they figured that that's no longer relevant. Um, so they're de-churched. And um, what does this mean for ministry? Well, it means that new styles of worship won't work. Fresh expressions of the church, not going to work. Special evangelistic Bible studies, courses on different topics of things that, you know, biblical um, things to enrich your family, this kind of thing, mm, probably not going to work. Churches meeting in coffee shops, pubs, mm, probably not going to work. Maybe, maybe one Sunday, but after that, you know. So, this is Italy. Um, some missionaries, new missionaries coming to Italy have produced a film. It's only two minutes long, but it just paints this picture perfectly. And um, so I wanted to use it this morning. At the end of the little video, um, you'll see them and their family, so don't be confused. That's not us, but it's such a well-done presentation of what it's like in Italy, so... When you think of Italy, what comes to your mind? Great food? Picturesque landscapes? Ancient monuments? Maybe beautiful art? Or inspiring music? How about some of the fastest sports cars in the world? Sounds like an incredible place to visit, right? Well, there's another side to Italy. One that most never see. Today I invite you to take another look. Not through the eyes of a tourist, but through the eyes of God. Contrary to popular opinion, Italy is actually a mission field. It has been Christianized, but it has never been evangelized. It's time to wake up Italy. Of Italy's estimated 60 million inhabitants, 95% identify themselves as Catholics, but only 5% actually attend Mass regularly. 
Unfortunately, religion is more tradition and convenience than a life-changing choice. Today in Italy, even the veneer of religion is being worn away by ever-increasing secularism and materialism. This leaves millions searching for answers about life. Instead of relying on a personal relationship with a loving savior, many turn to the occult. Last year alone, Italians spent over $8.5 billion consulting with psychics and clairvoyants for advice. Those who are still searching in Italy for an authentic community of believers will have to look very hard. Of Italy's 33,500 cities, only 1,500 have an evangelical church. That's considering evangelical churches of any denomination. 32,000 cities still have no church. With so few churches, is there any wonder why many in Italy have completely turned away from God? God has called our family to Italy to help point others to the light of Jesus. We want to offer the millions in Italy who are familiar with Jesus, the Son of Mary, the chance to know him as Jesus, the risen Son of God. However, we cannot do the work alone. We need your support through prayer and financial giving to go forward in sharing the gospel with the Italian people. Will you pray and ask the Lord how you are to respond? Will you help us wake up Italy? So this is our situation. And um, one author has said this about Europe. The vast majority of unchurched and de-churched people would not turn to the church even as faced with difficult personal circumstances or in the event of national tragedies. Reaching Europeans is not a question of improving the product of church meetings and evangelistic events. It means reaching people apart from meetings and events. And then it goes on to say, all across Europe, Christian faith is at best nominal. So I guess two things that, that uh, we can observe. One is, you can't plant a church in Europe by just being cool people, singing cool music from a cool, in a cool venue with the smell of espresso wafting out the door you know, to attract people to come in. And it also means that we're living in a post-Christian context, a post-Christendom context. That means that the Christian gospel is no longer, no longer is at the center of our society. It means that the church and its teachings no longer are what influence people in their values and in, in uh, um, um, and how they conduct themselves in society. It means that being a Christian today means that I'm not Jewish or I'm not Muslim or I'm not an atheist. In Christendom, churches were full of people who didn't want to be there. But at least they were there. And you could preach the gospel on Sunday morning in Christendom and you would have people that would, that would understand and, and accept the Lord. But that's no longer true. So um, about... Uh, let's. I, we, I want to show you some pictures of our church. Our church is called the Lighthouse. 
And, um, and he, I just want you to see the faces of the people um, who are in our congregation. And some of you recognize my parents who um, were with us when we took some of these pictures a couple years ago, actually. Um, but here we are. This is everybody and their brother, literally. This is uh, everyone plus a few friends, a few parents that were visiting. Um, this is a happy, wonderful church. About 25 people when, we're, when, when we get everybody together. Um, and go ahead. We like to eat, of course. This is some shots of us inside of our meeting place. Um, we do activities in the community, and they gain us respect in the community. We're, we're seen as a sect. But, you know, when, when we can um, serve our community and show them that uh, we're not trying to brainwash their children, but in fact, we can show them the love of Jesus and the way that we relate to them, um, it really goes a long ways to just give us a foundation on which we can um, present the gospel. And you saw some activities, a craft activity that was, um, uh, uh, what's that called? Quilting. And, um, and here, our co-worker, Francesca, an Italian co-worker, is teaching English. Um, and this is one of the ways that we've been able to, to, um, to meet people and get past the veneer and actually talk about important things. But you know, we've been there eight years now. A couple of years ago, we realized that uh, we weren't growing. In fact, we were like speaking into a vacuum. Um, we were sharing the gospel, but no one was listening to us. And if, you know, if, I mean, we were, we were talking to Italians about their faith and we were talking about the Lord Jesus and all of this. But it just was, you know, the reaction was more, okay, yeah, I don't have really time for this, and, and move on. And we asked ourselves the tough question, what's wrong? We're, our goal is to win, build, and send. Isn't that biblical? Absolutely. What's wrong? And so, um, in prayer, we realized that we were desperately trying to attract people to our message. But what we needed to do was work on becoming an attractive community. We needed to work on becoming the kind of community that Jesus wanted us to be. Because people in our church were coming on Sundays, and that was where their connection with the church stopped. You know, at a certain hour on Sunday morning, oops, church is done, and now I'm off. And my connection with the body of Christ effectively is over until next Sunday. That was um, a big problem. So to become an attractive community, we realized we needed to we needed to rechurch ourselves. We needed to stop attending church. And instead we need to learn how to be the church on mission. We needed to stop thinking of church as meetings. And we needed to start thinking of church as us engaging with our community together on mission. Isn't that what church really is in the New Testament? And so, 
in order to be an attractive community, we, we, we came to the realization that we needed to reformulate everything that we were doing in worship, in discipleship, in community service, so that we could become missional and start to engage together with our community. Because our only hope to make the message of salvation live in the minds and the hearts of our post-Christian Catholic friends was to show them the living Savior living in us. Show them the living Savior living inside of us as a community of believers that was being transformed by the gospel. Wow, Lord, thank you for helping us recognize that this is the main thing. And so, we needed to become an attractive community. And then, we would be able to attract people to our message. So, let's go back to 1 Peter. And I want you to see, biblically, how these things um, jumped out of this letter. And um, the Lord really convicted us um, that, man, this was God's missional strategy from the very start. How did we leave this out? We're, we're, too, we're too systematic. We're thinking of things too much in terms of educational models. You know, well, if you do this and you understand that, then you go and do this, and then, and it just wasn't making sense. So, First Peter, um, and the first thing I want you to see is that Peter addresses the believers as aliens and strangers. This is a really important point. We are aliens and strangers. See how he says, to God's elect, that's us, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Venice, Romania, Liberia, Niger, Boston, Weston, Natick, Sudbury. We're all here. And we all are strangers because we're citizens not of some country or some town on this planet. We are citizens of a heavenly city. Our real citizenship is in heaven. We never should expect that we get a prominent spot someplace on this earth from which to proclaim the gospel. We are proclaiming the gospel from the margins. We're a marginalized people because of who we are. We're followers of Jesus. In Christendom, we had some prominent positions. But Christendom is done. And it was good in some ways. In many ways, it gave us opportunities. But it became a crutch to the church. Now we're trying to figure out, gee, without our prominent position, how do we share the gospel with people? We open the door and they don't come. We get a great program here and people don't want to come in. They're not interested because Christendom is done. And so... Um, we go back to how the church was designed to work. It's a grassroots movement. We can't expect the world to like us, and we can't expect to become like the world and so that we can win the world. God's strategy has always been to create a people and preserve a people for himself. And through this people, he would restore the earth to worship him. Jeremiah Let's go there quick. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah writes this letter to the 
people in exile. And I wonder if Peter was thinking of this when he wrote his, his words to the dispersion. Um, and so Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. And this just, it just talks to us about what God's strategy was for the, these exiles and what his strategy is for us. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those. This is verse 4 of Jeremiah 29. All those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. The Italians love this because that's what they do. They plant their own garden and then they make their own spaghetti sauce. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It sounds a lot like Peter's letter. And so this takes us to the second point. Peter says that we as a people actually form a new family. A new family. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 3. I mean, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. This is all family talk, you know? Kids are born into the family and they become heirs in that family. This is our, our spiritual Rebirth makes us heirs to the, the promises, to the glory of Jesus because we, we become part of his family. This is not a human family. This is not a religious family. This is an eternal family, a unique family. What's it like to be in this family? If you skip forward in verse 1, in chapter 1 to verse 22, he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. So there's a dynamic going on here. We're a family that has absolute truth. We possess the truth in the scriptures. That's an interesting idea today. But we're a family that proclaims this truth and we demonstrate how to obey the truth by the way we live. And then from this flow, from this obedience and this power that's from the resurrection, because we, if you, there's so many things we're leaving out here, but if you follow the train of thought you know, through the first chapter, it's because Jesus rose from the dead that we can be born again and have this power to obey and then to love. And that's the dynamic that comes in this new family. This is the power of the gospel. Showing up in the way God's people relate to one another and then in the way they engage with their culture as salt and light. This is God's original missional strategy. 
a people who will demonstrate the gospel. And this is how the family operates. And when people see the family operating, they say, man, I want to be part of that family. I don't have that. I have religion. Oh, I have culture. I have tradition. But I don't have family and love. I don't have relationship with God. I don't have an inheritance with God. George was sharing with me uh, um, something that his prayer group did. We were eating lunch the other day. And um, uh, he was talking about how when you get together to pray with your friends and you mention, you, you bring your prayer requests about your neighbors and things like this, suddenly your vision begins to grow. And you begin to see ways in which you can share the gospel with your neighbors. And um, so he told about how his, his prayer group got the idea of doing um, a baby shower for someone in the church. And they did, and it was great. It was a wonderful occasion, and it was a blessing to the family that had the baby. But then as they were thinking, uh, uh, George mentioned his neighbor who had just adopted a baby, and they weren't part of Westgate. But And so who was going to give them a baby shower? And, and so the prayer group got the idea, let's us give them a baby shower. And so they did. And, and then on the first birthday, they went back and threw a birthday party. And can you imagine this family who, you know, if you try to say to your neighbor, come with me to church, come to church, come to church, come to church. And we keep saying, come to church. And the family keeps saying, oh, we'd like to sleep in on Sundays. It's our only family day. Good, good things. They don't come to church. But when you take church to them, that's God's strategy. How can they refuse such love? How can, and then they say, I want to be a part of that family. That's what we need. And that brings us to, to the last point. When our neighbors begin to see how good it is to be part of the family, they're ready to hear the message. They're ready to hear the message. We prove that the gospel is true. Chapter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is, this is not only preaching the gospel, but this is giving praise, giving thanksgiving. When our neighbors see us in that context, maybe they won't come here to watch us worship the Lord and sing in this context here. But when they see us worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord, talking to our other Christian friends about how good God is, they see that in our home or in their home. That's what this is talking about here declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. And we skip down. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives. And so, 
We preach the gospel in word, and we preach the gospel in deed. And this is the proof. If we think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Our neighbors are not going to be convinced that our message really is for them by watching us get in our cars and drive to church on Sunday morning. That's not what's going to convince them. When they see us interacting with our Christian friends and showing them love and making a difference in their lives as a community, then they suddenly realize, ah, I want to be a part of that. When they see our lives up close, they hear what we preach and they compare that with how we live. So we were exploding with this. And we said, what do we do? And so we took what we're doing. We took our worship team. We got together and we said, how can we become missional? We got friends that are, that are musicians. Why don't we invite them to come play music and we'll, we'll, we'll invite them to come and just be in our worship team practice the next time. We did that once. Our musician friends came. They, we were astounded. We didn't change anything. We talked about worship, and we talked about the words of the song and how we were going to communicate that and what our theme was for the, for the day. We just involved them. We asked them for their prayer requests. Um, we read scripture together. We said, if you guys want to come back next week, you can come back next week. They came back next week. And then they came back after that. Pretty soon one said, can I come on Sunday? I would love to come on Sunday. And, and suddenly our, the people who we've been talking to for six years, now they're listening. Now they're opening the scriptures. Now they're saying, gee, you know, my dad is in the hospital. I think he's going to die. And we go with him to the hospital. Um, we took our, our prayer meeting and we said, how can, we, how can we use this, this gathering to reach out? And so our prayer meeting became a time of, of uh, talking about mission and inviting our friends to come and eat with us and, and look at the scriptures and share things that were on their hearts. Um, one couple took their, their hiking outings and they decided to make that part of their mission. And so now they're taking... Um, a new seeking, um, actually two or three people who are seeking, and they're taking them with them hiking. And uh, so here's our worship team. Three of these guys on here are are not believers. I don't, maybe by this time, uh, one or two of them is a believer. Um, but Roger, the drummer, he's over, he's in the back, long blonde hair. You didn't know Italians were blonde, but up in the north, we have blonde Italian, blonde, blue-eyed Italian. And, uh, and so Roger says to me, uh, you know, he says at one of our, our, um, our Bible studies, he said, man, you know, coming to church doesn't interest me. Your message, not for me, for somebody else. But in one of our meetings, he said, this community is what I have been waiting for all my life. 
This is the love that doesn't exist in my family. It doesn't exist among my friends. It doesn't exist in my city. It doesn't exist in my country. He went right down the line and he said, this is what we need. And he said, I am so thankful that God directed me to come and be a part of this community. We are living proof that the gospel is not an empty word, but a powerful word, a powerful and living word. So we're becoming an attractive community. There's a lot of work to be done. And it's interesting at the end of verse 12, Peter says, and they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. One translation says, and they will believe and glorify God. The Italian really says that too. It's, it's, a, you know, it's like an equation. They'll see you, they will come to faith, and they will glorify God. Could it be that Peter is just telling us flat out, if you become this community, which is God's holy people, and act like his holy people, and, and go, take the church to your community, could it be that that's, that's God's original missional strategy? I want to end with this video, and, this, and we're done. This is, again, only two, two minutes. Ask yourself this. Am I here today to get my connection fixed with the church? And if you are, and I don't blame you because most of us have been or are in that position at some point, wouldn't you rather be connected with other believers in a way that gives you encouragement to be able to reach your friends? Because on your heart are those people that you know don't know the Lord yet. Wouldn't you like to have that sort of connection? Westgate, you have always been such an example to us in community. We learned community here in our home fellowships. This was what was missing from most other churches that we knew. This community is a thing that we took with us to Venezuela and developed there and is what we're just rediscovering in Italy. It means looking at every situation of our day as an opportunity to show how the gospel has transformed me. And not just me alone, but me with my friend, who also another believer, and showing it in a corporate way to our friends and to our world. It means teaming up with our small group or our home fellowship to take the gospel to the nooks and crannies of our neighborhoods. And it means getting out of our comfort zone. It means stop being isolated. Stop meeting up, you know, apart and, and isolating ourselves from the world means getting into the nooks and crannies of the world, taking the church to those places. Okay. And uh, as we watch this, um, may the Lord just burn into our hearts a vision for the church. Pray. Pray for us in Italy that we will be able to burn through these... um, these barriers and bring the light of the gospel as a lighthouse, the light of the gospel to our friends.